So, um, cool. Well, good. We're going to be back in the book of Isaiah this morning, and this may be the last message, and then we'll, um, you got a guest speaker next week. I actually will be going around the state. That has to do with my responsibilities as assistant superintendent. So we'll be, I think next Sunday, I'll be out in the Scotts Bluff area um, with our superintendent and a few other of our uh, network staff. So uh, we'll be going section to section across our state. And then the one that includes Lincoln and Crete and Milford, that actually will be Friday the 27th. So I'm inviting the board members up and uh, we'll elect a presbyter and stuff like that. All right. So you'll have Scott Mersh here. Scott, Scott's ministered in this church before, and he actually oversees our campground currently at the moment. He's been a pastor. He's been a kid's pastor. So him and his wife actually did a kid's ministry VBS for us one summer and did a great job for us. Um, so uh, like our our teenagers know who Scott is because they see him at camp and like Olivia uh, and Carson and some of them worked for Scott this summer, this last summer. So amen. So he'll be here. You'll, you'll enjoy uh, uh, Scott preaching and sharing with you all. All right. And then uh, we'll probably get back into the book of Acts and uh, go from there. So, but in Isaiah, if you remember back, um, last week was in uh, that historical part in the middle of the book of Isaiah. All right. And so you will be quizzed on this. So please take notes on this. All right. You can't leave unless you get 100%. Okay. All right. No. But I, I think a little bit of historical understanding of some of the books of the Bible is important because when you go into your devotional time and you read through Scripture, it helps to have a knowledge, okay, what was the author saying, who was he saying it to, and how does that apply to me, all right? So the book of Isaiah is written uh, at a time where uh, Israel has, they're in the promised land, they've disobeyed God, and God sends some prophets to say, hey, Either turn around or judgment is coming. And that's the first part of Isaiah. Some of the prophecies are very much like turn or burn. You know, some of that old Pentecostal or holiness preaching that was back in the day where, you know, Jonathan Edwards would hold you over the pit of hell, you know, hands in the, in the uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. All right. That's one of his great messages. And before people, you know, when he got to the altar call, they just flooded the altar. It was a great renewal time. But it was that kind of idea is the way Isaiah is in the first part. And then you get to that chapter 36 to through 39. It's this historical um, section that may be found like in the book of Kings or Chronicles. But it's about the life of Hezekiah. So we talked about that Hezekiah's prayer last week. And I hope you had a chance to listen to that. If you weren't here, um, you can find that. I think it's an important message, just his prayer. The, the ironic thing about Hezekiah, then God answers this incredible prayer because the Assyrians were going to come in and take Jerusalem, and God intervenes in a powerful way. I mean, in a very powerful way. He sends out an angel, the angel of the Lord, and 185,000 of the Assyrian army are killed, and they retreat, never to be seen again in the land of Israel. It would then be Babylon that would come in and... Uh, take control over Israel later, okay? But so Hezekiah has this great victory, okay? God answered prayer. You ever had that feeling? God answers that big prayer? And then people come from Babylon 
They maybe hear the report of how God delivered them. They come from Babylon to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is kind of feeling kind of good about himself, right? And he goes and he shows them all the treasures of Israel, what they have. Shows it all to them. And then Isaiah, the prophet, says, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. That was not a very good move because those same people are going to come back and desolate the land. They're going to take all the riches of Israel. It won't be during your lifetime, but your sons and your daughters are going to experience that. And Hezekiah is kind of like, whew, it's not going to happen during my lifetime. But it did happen. And so Nebuchadnezzar would come in and strip the land. Um, A lot of people would die. They'd be taken into captivity for 70 years. So Jeremiah, Isaiah both write about that. And then you have some of the prophets that write during that time. You have Ezekiel. He would be in Babylon. He would write. That's where it takes place. Um, Esther, right? That takes place in Babylon. So some of those books take place there. Daniel, all right? They're all there in Babylon. Seventy years happen, and now Israel is coming back to a land that is desolated. The temple has been stripped down to its foundation. It's not standing there. Their homes have been destroyed. And so Nebuchadnezzar, it's not Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually Cyrus that gives them the green light to come back. And uh, Nehemiah would be key person in that. They come back, but they're coming back to shambles, right? Coming back to shambles. It's like a kid coming out of timeout, except for, uh, you know, at, at a greater level, right? They got their head down, tail between their legs, and they're coming back. They're being set free from their captivity, but they're also coming back to a mess, right? And so from chapter 40 to 66 of Isaiah, the last part, is all encouraging. It's warm. It's encouraging, saying, hey, arise, wake up. Let God's face shine upon you. And then we even get into some of the prophecies deal with things that are still going to come during the millennial reign of Christ. All right? So um, this first chapter is right after we get this. If you go to chapter 39, we, you know, Hezekiah shows them the things of Babylon, and Isaiah says that was a stupid thing to do. All right? And it, it happens, just as Isaiah said it would. All right? And now they're coming out of captivity. And this is what the words of the Lord to the people are going to be. All right? So let's bow our heads in prayer, and then we'll dive into that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. It is able to shape us and transform us and, and speak life into us. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 40. This is the first thing we see. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. All right? Just warm. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double all of her sins. Wow. And then verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who said that in the New Testament? John the Baptist, right? Yeah, it was written in Isaiah, so he fulfilled that. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, you know, sometimes we're going ups and downs, and I go with a walk on my wife, and she, she doesn't always like the hills, all right? She just wants it level, right? 
And that's what God says, hey, I'm not going to give you the hills and the deep valleys. It's going to be level for you. It's going to be smooth sailing. There's not going to be any high waves and storms. I'm going to go before you. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. That's not, you know, God's faithfulness is always there. But our faithfulness can really be, it can be seasonal. It can be temporary. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to the high mountain who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And so we see the soft and compassionate, tender side of God that we don't see in the first part of Isaiah. And God is saying, hey, I know you guys are coming out of captivity. I know you're weary. I know you feel like you've been defeated. I know you feel like you've been crushed. And you don't have much that you can offer. But I'm going to lead you out. And I'm going to carry you if that is necessary. Right? So... The passage that Andy read, 77, I, I led you through the Red Sea, a part of the waters, even though you didn't see my footprints, right? And there's that poem there that goes on the walls. Maybe some of you have it on your, on, on your wall at home, the footprints in the sand, right? And the guy says, hey, there's only one pair of footprints going right this time. In the, in the worst part of my life, you weren't with me. There's only one set of tracks. And God says what? It's during those times that I carried you, right? That I carried you. That is what we see here. We see that our God is a gentle shepherd. He speaks comfort. He speaks tenderly to us. He carries us in the challenging moments of life. You know, David said in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We sang the song, I need you, Lord, I need you. But he is that one that he is the shepherd. He knows the needs of the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He understands if they need food or water or rest, if they need to be moved to a different pasture, if they need to be be protected from the wolves and the coyotes and the bears. A good shepherd is there to protect, to guide, to to nourish, to watch over. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the sheep, my sheep, know my voice. And as we follow him, he'll be faithful to restore, to guide, to lead us down the path of blessing. And that's what God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, that God would be that good shepherd, that gentle shepherd that would be with us. Verses 12 through 26. God says, who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hands? You know, if you were to take all the water from the ocean and put it in one container, I mean, just, there's nothing that can contain the depths of the ocean is there. You know, I even want think about in Nebraska, we see all these coal trains going by, right? And often you're sitting there at the railroad crossing watching the coal cars. I mean, they can be, what, a mile or two long, Sarah, right? If we had that two miles long, yeah. You know, Adam sometimes is engineering them, right? Just think about the hole that that leaves, and yet there's, there's train load after train load coming out of Wyoming. 
And, and, and yet they just keep coming endlessly, right? Just think about the water in the ocean, how infinite that is. Who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hands? God has, right? So it's these rhetorical questions. With the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Okay, coal, dust. Or weighed the mountains in his scales? Or the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? You know, I know some of you at times have given God your own advice. How did that go, though? (laughs) Verse 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? You know, God's given me counsel and advice, but he's never said, hey, what do you think? (laughs) Who has taught him? Knowledge or showed him the path of understanding. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on his scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for the altar fires, nor animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are like nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless, less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? Think about that. Who are you going to compare God to? What image will you liken him to? This is why idolatry was so wrong and God was so uh, adamant about idolatry. Why? Because God could never be captured by the image of a bull, which fertility, that's what it was about, fertility and strength or um, a pole. I mean, none of these could capture who God is. And that's why idolatry was so wrong is God didn't want to be defined by one image, Right? Because he's infinite. Who will you compare me? What image will you liken him to? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. The goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They all look for a skilled worker. They set up an idol that will, ta- will not topple. But do you know, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sets enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out, out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Okay? You're looking up into the night sky. That's where God lives, it says. That's his tent. He brings princes to nod. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows them and they wither. A whirlwind sweeps them like like chaff in the wind. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He brings out the starry hosts one by one. He calls them forth each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Not one of them is missing. You know, how many enjoy looking out into the night sky and looking at the stars? Yeah, I enjoy doing that. When we lived in North Dakota, I could walk across just a block away. I walk and there's this open field. I'd take the dog out there, let him run. And you could see the Big Dipper. You could see it just was a good, you know, as long as it was clear sky, you could see not a lot of light pollution, you call it, right? Um, and you can see that here in Nebraska as well, uh, especially you get away from the cities. And I was sitting on the tree stand, and I think it was December. I got out there early in the morning, and maybe it was late November, 
early December, and I saw the shooting star go right there. I thought that was a good sign. I don't know. I can't remember if I got something that morning or not, but um, it's fun to do that. Um, The second point is that our God is infinite. And just to illustrate that, just the starry sky, the stars that are there. Now, you can look up in the sky and you can count them, right? And there's some certain ones that stand out, right? And I like the Big Dipper. But in 1994, Robert Williams, director of the Space Telescope, okay, this is with the Hubble uh, Space Te- Telescope, he developed an interest in the Hubble's ability to observe distant objects when he went f- witnessed exposures taken in May and June of a wild, wide-field planetary camera. The high-resolution camera was capable of capturing images over a wide field of view and at different wavelengths. And the data showed a cosmic zoo of objects, suggesting that another deep exposure could reveal unknown parts of the universe that we'd never seen before. And so Williams controlled 10% of the Hubble's observation time. He had 10 days. And so he got a group of scientists together, and they said they looked for the darkest spot that they could find up in the sky. That's where they want to center that telescope. And some of the people said, why in the world are you going to do that? There's nothing there. Can't you see? It's all dark. And he ended up picking a spot by the handle of the Big Dipper. So Chris, you can put that picture up there. Um, handle the Big Dipper. And this is kind of a picture. You can see the Big Dipper there. So kind of the handle there, but there was kind of a spot the size of a pinhead. If you were go like this, the size of a pinhead. Right here, okay? That's the size of they picked out. But they found this dark spot, and they wanted a dark spot because they didn't want the light of the other stars to flood out the exposure and what they wanted to see, Okay? They didn't. They wanted to stay away from the Milky Way because there was too much light there. They wanted to go with this dark spot, and they zeroed it in. And Chris, show us what they found. What's the next slide? In that dark spot, those are galaxies. They're not just stars. Those are galaxies that they say are 50 billion years away, light years away. Now, so they're looking back in time. It's kind of like you read this. It's kind of like, why are they looking back in time? Well, be because, you know, it takes eight minutes for the light from the sun to get to us, a little over eight minutes. So the light from these galaxies is taking, they're saying, 15 billion years to reach to us. So those exe- galaxies have existed 15 billion years ago. Isn't that kind of hard to fathom in our infinite, in our finite understanding and lifespan 70 years? that those galaxies have existed beyond that. Now, they're, they're making estimation and they're guessing, but from telescopes in the human eye, none of this was ever seen, and all of a sudden they have the technology now to see out there, and they find out, you know what? There's a lot out there that we have never seen before. And you got one more picture there, don't you, Chris? This is the Milky Way. Just look at all that when you zoom in on it. Thousands and thousands of stars and galax- galaxies. And now they have, a new, they have a new telescope, the James Webb. And Chris, you can point that out. The James Webb telescope. So on the left is the Hubble. Okay, So you can see those two bright stars and you can see a few other. You can see these two bright stars on the same right side, but see all the other stuff that the James Webb pulls in that w- the Hubble wasn't able to pull in? That's out there. Our God is infinite. 
and his understanding, who can measure, who can you compare him to? Um, the superintendent of South Dakota, he gave a devotional at one of my meetings here this fall. And he was sharing a little bit about this, and he loves astronomy. But last year during COVID, they, um, they lost the, the person that served as the secretary for the network, who was the pastor in Aberdeen, um, got COVID and was on a ventilator and just wasn't able to pull through. And he went to be with the Lord. He was, I think, in his 50s. Um, went to be with the Lord. And he just talked about that. The, the wife and, and the kids stayed at his place in Sioux Falls uh, through all this. And, you know, he just, you know, j- he was there witnessing firsthand all that they were going through. And he took a little break after all that because he was dealing himself with all this. They provided meals for them and just kind of housing for them. And, um, and I think he, they took a little retreat out in the Black Hills and he looked up into the, the night sky and, and he saw that, the stars. And it just reminded him just of the infinity of God and who he is and how finite we are. And sometimes like this, our, our vision is like this. We just see a few things, right? We're nearsighted. But see, God sees it all. He sees all that. We can just look at life from our lens and we say, you know, God, it doesn't make sense. No, it probably doesn't because we don't have all the dots. We don't have all the information. But He does. And there's things that we have to release to Him knowing that we can't figure it all out. And see, Israel... Is coming back. They're coming back to homes that have been destroyed and level, a temple that needs to be rebuilt, walls that need to be rebuilt. And they're trying to figure out, how does this make sense, God? How did ours go into captivity? How was that part of your plan? Well, it was. Because God loved them. And it was through that, that captivity that God renewed them and changed their hearts. They would go in struggling with idolatry. They would come out of their captivity. And, you know, Israel wasn't perfect after that, but they would never wrestle with idolatry again. God would strip that from who they were, and they would serve God. And sometimes God takes us through season we don't understand. And we have to trust in His infinite ability and who He is and rest in that. Is that making sense? Number three. Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God? You hear that? They're saying, God, it doesn't make sense to us. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even young people, youths, grow tired and weary. And and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, or some of the older translations say, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And the third thing there is that our God is the source of spiritual renewal. 
the Israelites were speaking to their dismay and, and, and to their own circumstance. They didn't understand. They didn't have the strength. They didn't have the capacity maybe to walk the next day, to walk the next step. You know, we, we may be, how many have moved more than a state away? Right? You haul stuff up and you load it in your U-Haul or whatever. But, you know, that trek for them from Babylon back to Israel would take maybe a month or better. You know, you're not, you don't have a U-Haul. You maybe have donkeys and carts and horses. But you've made a living in Babylon. Now you're coming back. And yet, God says to them, hey, trust me. Wait upon me. Put your hope in me. You will renew your strength. That verse, um, that word in verse 31, those that wait or hope in the Lord, means to trust or have confidence in someone, especially in regards to the future. And so what Isaiah was saying, what God was saying to them, is put your trust and confidence in me, especially in regards to your future. I have your best interests in mind, and I will renew your strength. I will lift you up on eagle's wings. You know, with hope, people can endure a lot of difficulties, can't you? Incredible ones. You know, when they did studies on people that survived the Holocaust and the concentration camps, some people just died just because they lost hope. But people that had, you know, and some people, their lives were just taken brutally. They didn't have a choice. But there's others that survived, and they survived because they had some kind of hope that they were going to get out of there, that they had a hope in God. There was something that sustained them, and it was that hope in the future that God would bring them through or something was going to bring them through, hope. If we don't have hope, it's pretty hard to live the next day, the next minute. But when we have hope, especially a hope in God, in an infinite God, he can carry us through. Amen. I'm going to have the musician comes. You know, I don't know what 2023 holds. We're, what, two weeks into it. Could be a good year. Could be a challenging year. We didn't know what 2020 was going to hold or 21. All right. What I do know is that God is in control. I think there's a worship song out there that says, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who uh, holds tomorrow, right? Um, he holds it in his hands. He is the gentle, gentle shepherd that will lead us. He's the infinite God who has no limits to his power. There's no limits to his wisdom, his knowledge. And those who place their hope in him are renewed each day. They have strength, they have wisdom, they have courage to face each and every day. And uh, so my challenge to you today, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope in your life? It's there. God's promise is there. can't say that life is always going to be easy and that you're not going to have your own difficulties as Israel did. But sometimes those are refining times. Those are times for us to grow deep. We say, God, I thought you loved me right? You ever had that prayer? God, I thought you loved me. Why are you letting this happen to me? You just really hate me, right? God says, hey, no, I just want you to grow deep. 
I want you to know what it is to hope in me, to trust in me, to develop your faith, to develop your muscles, to know what it means to to trust in me completely, to be sustained by me, and to live each day with me. Amen? Amen. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. I try to do this every Sunday because I just never know where we're at or who's here. If we place our faith and trust in God, And so would you just pray with me this morning saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my lack of faith in you. Lord, help me to put complete faith and trust in you alone as my Savior, as my friend, as my King, as my Lord. And Father, this morning, I don't know if this verse, this passage speaks specifically to somebody, somebody going through a valley, somebody going through a difficulty. And they just don't know what tomorrow holds. They don't know they have the strength for one more day. Lord, may we hear the words of Isaiah, that God, you spoke through him, that I believe still speaks to us today. It's still that promise that they that hope, that wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not be faint. They'll run and not grow weary. Lord God, just let uh, your presence fill this place and renew us today, we pray. We worship you. We give you the thanks.